Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program. And my guest today is Sebo Villakazi. And our topic is strength in unity, power in diversity. When we actually made this date, we didn't, I didn't think it was Nelson Mandela Day today, but I think it's very appropriate that we do meet today because this year's um, theme for Nelson Mandela's Day is It is in Your Hands. And what uh, Sepo Villakazi will talk about is the responsibility and how to teach responsibility and how we ourselves should take responsibility. So we've got a lot to discuss. If you would like to listen to our previous podcasts, please look on uh, uh, under High FM Podcasts on the 29th of November 2022 or the 15th 2022. And um, it's, I'm very excited to have you today, Sebo. We were supposed to meet for lunch, and unfortunately I had to cancel a few weeks ago. But I'm looking at you now on Zoom. And let me just say a few words about uh, Sebo. He's smiling at me at the moment. Sebo's a very talented man. He really is. And um, he is. Uh, he he won the Distinguished Postmaster, um, what would you call it, the Postmaster um, Award for, from Toastmasters International, which was just absolutely amazing. And he achieved this in just two years, which was a goal that I think he's broken for everybody else. Nobody else has got that. Um, he's also a published author, and uh, he has a new book coming out, which he'll talk about as well, called Colors of Harmony. And um, he, there's he's... I don't know why I'm actually hanging on there. I'm, I'm kind of trying to say what I wanted to say. He calls himself a peace farmer. He's a motivational speaker and a proofreader and, as I said, an author. And he's the NGO and the director of the Valley Trust, a valley in the Valley of a Thousand Hills in KwaZulu-Natal, which he'll tell us about. If you'd like to follow him, I'd really suggest you do so on LinkedIn because he's got a wonderful um, whole thing about winning this Toastmaster Award and the benefits of pursuing passionate goals. And it says, insights from a distinguished Toastmaster. Good morning, distinguished Toastmaster. How are you today, Sebo? Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that glowing introduction. I am well, thank you. And how are you? How I'm, are you doing? I'm well as well. If I if I sound like I'm lisping a little bit, I have a bit of inflammation so in my mouth, so I am lisping a bit. But don't worry about it. Hopefully, it's not going to come through too clearly. Um, Sebo, yeah. I want to actually catch up with you because you know, after our 29th of November um, podcast. I got a message saying that you and I live with rose-colored spectacles and we don't actually see the reality of what's happening in South Africa. And my answer was, well, 
you know what? I'm very happy with these rose-colored spectacles. I'm not prepared to live with anger, with fear, and and hatred. That's that would just destroy me. What do you say to somebody who says to you, "You're living in a with rose-colored spectacles"? It's not the first time I've heard it, Sue. And in a way, I have empathy for that view. Because we do live in difficult times and many times it can be difficult to see any hope, to see any, any way out of the situation that we live in. In my community, I, I live in a small community. It's dominated by white people. And, uh, what I find, and I, I say this because often tends to be these issues of diversity that come up mm. in, in the community WhatsApp group. But quite apart from that, and this is now just generally amongst all of us as residents, I very often sense this almost sense of helplessness and, and despair. I've got a friend who was a neighbor who's emigrated to Sweden. Mm. He speaks about the cold there when when he got there, but he is like uh, rather that than uh, than South Africa, you know. Rather have my small um, young son grow up in a place that he can be safe and that I can walk on the streets without feeling like my life is in danger. So I can I can appreciate where that where that uh, sentiment comes from. My view of it is that in very much. A Victor Frankl sort of way is that we do create our own reality in many ways, and we definitely have the capacity to create our future. Mm. So for me, I, I I I live very aware of where I am. I lock my doors at night. I'm careful when I when I'm driving on the roads, etc. But I live with a picture, and I try to focus on the picture of what I'd love to see of what I'd love, of, of, of the country that I'd love my children to live in mm. and of the future that I want, even for myself, not even just talking about my children, but for myself. And so I've, I long came to the realization that this future wasn't going to happen with me just sitting on the sidelines and watching. I believe that the most productive, the most constructive thing I, I can do is contribute in whatever little way. So let me just add one one more thing here. What I have also found in my in the types of activities that I get involved in, the types of conversations that I have, is that many people often feel like they are helpless, that like there's nothing that they can that they can do, that they can contribute. But I think just for example, doing something good within your own neighborhood doing something good for your neighbor, doing something good for the next person next to you can have this multiplier effect. And so we can start then to create this world that we all wish for, but that we sometimes feel is so far away. So in many ways, today's theme is apt because I do believe that that it is in your hands. It is in our hands. It's in my hands to create the future that we desire. Uh, I absolutely agree with you, and I, I can really understand why you are a, a diversity, inclusion, and equity advocate, because what you've just said there really covers so much of what is in our hands, 
and we need to look at it and, and what are we doing to, to not feel included. And, you know, uh, Nelson Mandela, one of his quotes was, it is easy to break down and destroy. The heroes are those who make peace and build. And I mm. think that is so apt what he actually says, because I think the moment you start doing something, something proactive, you stop feeling like a victim. And that is exactly, as you said, with Viktor Frankl, that's what he said, that they saw in the camps, that it was those people who walked, very few in number, he said, who were giving away their pieces of bread. But there were enough of them to show that it was possible to rise above the circumstances. We're going to add break, and I'll get back to you. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Um, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program on 101.9 High FM. My guest today is Sebo Velakazi, and we're talking about strength in unity and power in diversity. You can SMS us if you'd like to on 34519, or you can telegram us on 61 now, Seb, you know, you have just been up here uh, in a workshop. But before getting to that, I was listening to one of our podcasts, and in it you mentioned, because I think this comes in here, how there was a time in your life when anger also uh, uh, emerged. You spoke about when you were at a, a, a programmer, a computer programmer, and you'd st- they'd started running an awareness group, and there was this huge Afrikaans guy. And do you remember that story? I do, sir. Could you tell it to us? Well, <laughs> it was very, it was very silly. It was really more my journey of awakening to the issues of diversity and um, it was part of what it was a major part of what made me decide to uh, to pursue diversity inclusion and equity as as a career path because i i first got aware of it as a participant in a workshop that was being run by my then workplace a uh, one of the one of the big four banks and we got talking about language. It was a mixed group, as these diversity interventions typically are. And we got talking about language and just some of the conflicts, really, that arise out of a failure to understand each other amongst different race groups. And so I've, I've, I've always been very vocal about my opinions. I don't like to feel like uh, I'm letting someone get away with uh, with something incorrect, particularly when it pertains to myself. So there I was uh, standing up to this big guy. So it ended up in the workshop. It was myself and this big built <laughs> African Africana gentleman. And I just wouldn't back down. I don't even know what got into me because he was twice my size, taller than me, broader than me. <laughs> but uh, I, I, eventually the facilitator managed to calm us down. But on reflecting about this, I could see that actually it was really because I was just not willing to open my mind to his point of view. Mm. As as much as both of us might not have been uh, con- communicating our points of view in the best possible way, his view was still valid in the same way that I felt that mine was. Mm. And if I was to make 
any headway in my own understanding of the interactions between myself and people like him, then I needed to take the time to listen to him. I needed to take the time to hear him and not, and, 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 and acknowledge what he said and therefore or thereafter speak from a position of, uh, uh, if, even if not empathy, but from a position of greater understanding. And so that just got me very curious about this entire sort of um, process. And eventually I got stuck in and have been in it for 15 or more years now. Wow. And, you know, it's quite amazing how often a, a period of, of pain or an incident of pain can make us relook really deep inside ourselves to see what we're holding on to, what is bringing out this rage in us, whether it was in the right. gentleman who was confronting you or whether it was in yourself or myself. It's often when we really are being hit internally that we've got to look at what are we holding on to and what can we change and let go of. Also. And now I would like to know, but you came up here. First of all, I want to talk just for a short while about the Valley Trust, uh, which you're the director of, uh, of A Thousand Hills in KwaZulu-Natal. How is that going? It's going well. So we still have not got back in terms of funding. Funding is a constant uh, struggle in our sector. But even that's got with it some uh, excitement. You will remember I said to you that in 2020, we lost upward of 70% of our funding mm-hmm. just out, out in the midst of COVID and all that. But uh, having retrenched 54 out of 83 staff members, mm-hmm. we, we were, we were 20, we, we retrenched 59, I think, because we're 83 and we went to 24. Wow. And we just had to sit. And look at, okay, how do we make it forward from here? And the thing that helped us actually, this now relates back to the rose-colored glasses, is that we chose to look at, okay, we've lost all this, but what do we still have? And what do we desire for ourselves as, as well as the organization? So we've done some exciting things. We realized that we had a very narrow focus in our fundraising. We were just mainly depending on these big donors, We've now started a charity shop that's, uh, that's going well. We, 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 we will be starting a crash in, uh, the beginning of 2024. We've got a demonstration garden going today. Actually, we'll be harvesting spinach from it that we sell. And it's, it's caused us, we have these, uh, fundraising breakfasts and we are going to host one towards the end of the year for our 70th birthday. Hmm. So there have been all these things, uh, uh, these exciting things for us to to explore in the midst of the, sh- uh, the, 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 the shortage of funding, the fact that we could do more, but we still feel that we are actually even more effective in uh, certain other ways. So yeah. it's been a, it's been a, a, a great, a, a time of great growth and uh, reason to be grateful really. That's amazing because at one stage we spoke after the riots in, in KwaZulu and you were, you were very down at the time and felt your, your, you, you yourself were feeling so sad. I think we all were, but it just shows you you've gathered all your energy and the people who are working with you, even though fewer in number, you've generated a lot of, um, excitement between you all by the sounds of it. 
Definitely, Sue. I have to tell you, we came to a point in this whole process of restructuring where we were going to cut down the number of our colleagues that work in the households. As you know, our project goes into homes in this rural part of Durban and teaches mothers and caregivers of young children how to look after those children to ensure their proper growth and development. We came to a point where we were going to have to cut down the number of staff by more than half. Mm. And so we put it to them and we said, guys, we can't afford the salaries for all of you. We are going to um, put in place a retrenchment process. And out of all of you, you know, one in two of you will not be able to stay. And so this was part of the consultation process. And we said, we're just letting you know that this is what we'll be doing in the coming months. And what came out of that was something that totally, totally amazed me. They got together and the response that came back to me was they are choosing all to, to stay employed, mm. all of them, and they are choosing to take lower salaries. Good heavens. And so what, mm. and so what happened was they divided the pot that we had set aside for their salaries amongst their entire number, but all of them are still there today. And uh, it, it was just the most amazing example of self selflessness and giving because some of them knew that they would stay. In as much as there were some of them that knew that maybe they were not as strong as others, they would go. But still they chose to focus on the good of the whole. And, and all of them stayed. And for us as management, for us as an organization, this meant we didn't have to scale down mm. our impact. So we still work in a thousand homes at any one time mm. right now, whereas we would have cut down, we would have had to cut down to maybe less than 500 homes. Imagine the impact oh. that would have had on, on, on just sort of what the, the results and how many households you are able to help. So this time of challenge and difficulty has also brought about amazing demonstrations and illustrations of humanity and people thinking beyond just their own self-interest. Isn't it Very, fantastic? Mm. Yeah. Now that's your amazing, Grow Well amazing. Child, your Grow Well Child um, organize, your your section. Is that most of them were from that where you uh, actually all go? All of them. All of them, wow. Yeah. And just, all of them are from that project. Tell me a little so bit about that project, if you wouldn't mind. Not at all. Thank you for the opportunity. The project is called Kulagatlemdwana. It's the Zulu or the Isis Zulu for Grow Well Child. And it comes out of a realization. In fact, this came out of research by the University of Guazulu Natal in our area that the children, young children from birth to six years old are malnourished and as a result are underdeveloped, both physically and in their minds, in their brains, uh, cognitively. And so we started this project that helps the mothers in their homes, firstly with nutrition education, with the, uh, there's a, 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 a process we follow called IMCI, which is the Integrated Management of Childhood Illness, which helps families prevent illness among their children and promote healthy development. And so we teach that. And then we do other things like uh, vegetable gardens, 
we do um, financial savings, all in an attempt to help these usually mothers, sometimes grandmothers and sometimes siblings of these young children, mm-hmm. ensure that these kids can grow in such a manner that they are prepared for school, in such a manner that they are physically fit and are going to sometime in the near future become productive uh, members of South African society who contribute to pushing South Africa forward. So it's an exciting program. Very. And how many children are you actually, how many homes are you caring about? How many children? We care for just over a thousand children mm. in seven hundred odd homes Good at any at, at any point at, at any point in time, and we stay with these households up until the child we graduate them out, either because they meet certain criteria in our vulnerability assessment. In other words, they have shown signs that they are able to stand for themselves, mm. or because the child has now. Um, exceeded the, the zero to six age bracket. But in, in that case, then we hand them over to local organizations and the, the local social worker and we just ensure that they keep an eye on, um, on that family, on that household to ensure the well-being of the child and other household members. That's fantastic because I remember you saying that you you had they had to make sure uh, health-wise that they kept up with the the growth chart and the immunizations and and then you yes. showed them ways of mentally stimulating their children. So it was fantastic, but all of that if you think about what you've done there at the Valley Trust took you to this workshop that you've been on last week, really, and I'm sure you had a lot to contribute. So tell me a bit about last week's workshop and how it ties in uh, with this. This was a, uh, it's a, it's a different project, but a, a related project mm. and very exciting, Sue. What's happening is that the project seeks to find ways that recipients of social grants, specifically the child support grants, can be uh, assisted to make more of the grant than what it currently is. The grant is around 500 rand now per month. Per child. child. And Mm -hmm. it's per child, yeah. And it's clear to governments that this money is not enough for Mm -hmm. the mother and is not enough to look after the needs of the child. And so the thinking is, what else can we do with this recipient, with the person who's receiving this grant, to help them make the grant go further? And so we've, we we did two things in this project. The first thing that we did was a livelihoods assessment, which meant going into the homes of social grant recipients, many of whom we work with, and talking to them to find out how they live. How do you make it? How do you make it on a day-by-day basis? What are your struggles? What are your victories? How do you cope? What difference does the grant make? So we did that on the one hand. And then on the other hand, we went out into the community to look at what are the available opportunities, market-related opportunities that these mothers or these recipients could be linked to for either employment or starting or enhancing their own businesses. So this meant talking to local businesses. It meant 
talking to the uh, the households themselves to find out if they're doing any income generating activities. And so now the result of our project, and we are doing the research which is kicking off this project, the result of our research is recommendations around here are the things that in these specific communities uh, the, the the recipients of grants could be linked to market-based opportunities so that they can enhance their livelihoods and hopefully in some way uh, re- uh, reduce their reliance on the social grant, hopefully even win them off the social grant in due course. And so it's... Aside, so are you looking at opportunities within their own environments then? Yes. Okay. Very much so. That's where that's where we are starting. Mm. And how did you choose these uh, these children? I mean, these these grantees. How did you come to find the ones that you wanted to assess? We are working on this project with the Department of Social Development, as well as the South African Social Security Agency and the National Development Agency. And so we got a list of names from the Department of Social Development. And, uh, and in fact, they hold the list. And then SASA, the South African Social Security Agency, distributes the grants to these recipients who are on this list. And so we picked names off of the uh, off of that list based on the areas that we were working in. We worked in three places in KZN, in, uh, in the north. We were in um, Matateni, which is just a, a township just outside Newcastle. We then, in the south, worked in Mtualume, which is a rural area, sort of in the Potsdam area, in, in, near Hibadin, actually. Mm-hmm. And then in, within Durban, we worked with um, communities in Guamashu. So it's, co- it's comparing and finding out how people are living in these different kinds of, of environments. Mm-hmm. Because the hope is that the lessons we learn here will be scaled nationally so that this can be uh, done for different kinds of communities or for households that live in different kinds of uh, of communities. It's, it's, the project sounds absolutely amazing. Just tell me, you know, so many people say that they don't want to give to charity because it just goes into people's pockets. And how do you control this money which which goes into billions if I think about it for the livelihood assessment and market assessment and keeping these children giving them the grant that they need um, how, how do you actually control that that it's not going into somebody else's pocket yeah so not being within the Department of Social Development I wouldn't be able to speak for them in terms of the initiatives that they do. But there, there is a concern about ensuring that the grant is used for the intended purpose, which mm. is the well-being of the child. And I know that in working with the Department of Social Development and the Social Security Agency in this project, that it's a, it's a big concern for them. Mm. But I, I, here in KZN, uh, we, we've got to work quite closely with the officials and we know how much they go out of their way that try to put systems in place to ensure that fraud is minimized as much as possible and that even 
outside of fraud within the household, say it's a legitimate household, that it's the, 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 the funds are being put to correct or the intended use. Mm-hmm. As you can imagine, uh, it, it, it's quite difficult because it's millions of grantees, literally. Mm, mm, mm. Absolutely. And, you know, you did say to me when we were talking on the phone that it's very complex and multifaceted, um, especially that pregnancy often accompanies low-income um, groups. And so you have extra children, little children being born to unwed mothers, and that the, the, there's a lot of lack of responsibility among the males. So how do you actually, in, in any way, how do you cope with that? How do, you, how do you educate the males to take responsibility? It's it's difficult. Mm. And in fact, one of the projects that we closed down in 2020, uh, one of its thrusts was this uh, Talking to men through dialogue, uh, because teaching helps to an extent, but is is is, is very limited. And mm. uh, dialogues and uh, holding people by their hand and making them see things for themselves, and maybe even practice to do differently, tends to be more effective as a behavior change approach. And so, in that project, we work with men about responsible manhood, uh, we, starting from young men. Okay, how do you how, how do you hold yourself? How do you conduct yourself as 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 a male who is going to take responsibility for his actions? We're going to get back to that. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on one hundred one point nine High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm back with Sebo Vilakazi. Sebo, I'm sorry, I'm actually being told to wrap up because we've got a bit of a problem with the one. Um, stream here. We will make another time to go on with this. I do just want to tell people that there is a book fair in Durban from 9th to the 13th of August. It's an international book fair. And Sebo will be there and he will have hopefully his new book, Colors of Harmony, will be there. Sebo and I will definitely be going on with this conversation in uh, in a very short while, in a few weeks' time. Sebo, I'm so sorry to actually cut you out like this, cut you off, but I've enjoyed being with you. And if people want to get hold of you, can they contact you on LinkedIn? Oh, most definitely. I'm always happy to make uh, contact there. And my email address, Sue, yes. is sbongiv at gmail.com, which is S for sugar, B for bravo, O. And, uh, and then N for Nelly, G for golf, I for indigo, V for victor at gmail.com. Great. So that's also a good way to get in touch. Thank you so much. And I will be in contact with you after the program. I just want to stop, uh, end with Helen Keller's saying, alone we can do so little. Together we can do so much. So let's carry on doing that. Thank you, Craig, and thank you, Busi and Makundi, and thank you again, Sebo.